Welcome back to the Sighting Lap, where we give you insights into the world of motorcycle racing. Now, today we are joined by a very special guest in the form of Lee Johnston. Lee, how are you? Uh, thank you for the very special. I don't know about that, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really good, thanks. Lovely. Um, and anyway, before we get going, why don't you introduce yourself for um, all of those listening? Uh, hi, like I say, my name's Lee Johnson. Um, I'm a professional motorbike racer, Elaman TT racer, and also ride in uh, British Superbike Championship. Lovely. Um, so anyway, we'll probably just start with the uh, with the first question. Anyway, um, how did you get involved in racing? Was it kind of always your dream to become <clears throat> a professional rider, or? Uh, no, not at all. I actually became involved in racing by accident. I I didn't I, I always had motorbikes right from a very young age, but I played football right up until I was probably 14, 15. Um and then one of my friends was already racing, uh, a guy called Josh Elliott. He's like a British superstock champion and stuff. So he was already racing and he, he was riding mini motos and I went to watch one day and, and decided to have a go and then I was sort of accidentally quite good at it. So then obviously when you're you're good at something you want to do it again so yeah it all just sort of started from started from an accident i suppose fair enough do you uh did you ever think you could kind of make it in football or was that <laughs> um i think honestly i was probably better at playing football than i am riding a motorbike <laughs> i uh like i played for my county team and stuff and everything at home and um yeah i was probably better at that but i just couldn't i couldn't um this makes me sound really selfish, but I couldn't uh, like just rely on other people that weren't putting a hundred percent effort in. It's probably that sounds harsh now when there were like 13, 14 year old kids, but <laughs> I wanted to win all the time and it just probably didn't happen. And yeah, I was, I was probably not a very nice person. to, to, to be honest. <laughs> Did you play? What position did you play? I'm just jumping on the football question. Sorry, yeah, no, I was a striker, yeah, so I just wanted all the glory of scoring goals, yeah, so too small, I was too small to be a defender, so yeah, I like scoring goals, so. Let's move away a bit from the football. <laughs> yeah, I think this is still a motorcycle racing podcast, yeah. but it is very interesting to hear. People are not going to want to hear us talk about that. <laughs> just, just cut, this, cut this part out. <laughs> it's very interesting because you often hear people talking about, oh, they did either cycling or doing mini bikes at already at two or three years old. So it's very interesting to hear that you're coming from, like you've already had found your sport and still decided to change yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I've got, um, unfortunately now, I've got quite a few friends that are professional footballers and I wish I stayed there, but I'll be a lot richer, <laughs> I'll be a lot richer than what I am now. But, um, no, yeah, I suppose it is strange to, it's, it was probably different then a little bit um, because now kids are like so driven, it seems, at like being 10 and 11 year old that they've almost forgot how to be forgot how to be kids i listened to a really good podcast the other day um about the guy that runs actual man united academy and he said that he said it's so important to let let kids be kids and stop forcing them into doing things because they just get burnt out by the time yeah. they're sort of 18 and that happens a lot in motocross i think 
because they do start at like five and six year old. So by the time they're 18, they've been riding for like 10, 12 years. It's crazy. And that's really, I can't even imagine living this kind of life. But yeah. so you're rather like, I don't want to put any words in your mouth, but yeah. are you more under the impression that people should start later in their racing career? Then like, should I there be more age limits? Yeah, well, I don't know about that as such, but I think it should be like you, you go. So now, like if I went and rid motocross on a Wednesday or something at a, a private track in England, there would be some pros there and there would be some 10 and 12 year old kids there. I'm like, why are you not in school? And the, <laughs> the, the father's like proper. Well, they call it motocross dads for a reason because they're so aggressive and like pushy and stuff and 99% of the time it's people that weren't good enough themselves or never made it and they're living the dream through the child like I've my little boy's four year old and I've got no desire whatsoever for him to be a motorbike racer I'd, <laughs> I could think of 50 million things I'd rather he did than than do that you know what I mean so um probably because I'm just content in what I've done, you know, so it's it's probably harder for people that maybe tried and, and sort of didn't do it and then they want their kid to to do that. So I think that's normally the case. Okay, I think moving away from that a bit, right. <laughs> like um, if you hadn't become a rider, which other career path would you have chosen except for, for going <laughs> pro in football? Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know, probably just a normal trade. Like I was where I grew up was like in a really rural farming community. Do you know what I mean? It was even now motorbike racing is not a thing where I come from. And so, yeah, just probably a normal, a normal trade, like, like anybody else. I, I think I would have traveled and went away quite my friend, quite a lot of my friends went to New Zealand, Australia and stuff to work. So I probably would have done something like that and just did a, just did a normal trade. So, Nothing exciting. I wish I wish I had an exciting answer for that. But no. <laughs> so you said that you had lots of bikes young. Do you uh, know what what was the first bike that you had, and do you still have it? Yeah, because I've probably tried to buy them for the last ten years. So my very first bike was an Italjet Bambino, um, which is like a little fifty cc thing, just twist and go. Um, then I I had a mini moto of some shape or form. Um, then I had a Malagutti Grizzly, which is like a 50cc bike with gears. Then I had a, a KX80, I believe. And then that, that would have been like sort of 13, 14. And then I think I maybe like didn't have a bike after that for a year or so. And then I started riding the mini motos and stuff. So, yeah. Well, I guess, um, after mini motos, you went on, uh, had a, uh good old success in um in the british championships you were a 2008 uh junior superstock champion yeah how did you deal with the like the pressure of a title battle at a young age um i think it was pretty it was pretty easy not e that sounds like no it wasn't easy sorry i take that <laughs> back but it was it was pretty black and white because we had no money and like my dad was really clear in the fact that we've literally got one chance. Like we literally did it out of a van with ourselves. Like he drove through the night on the ferry and um, like we were just like working class people. We live in a three bed semi in a little village. Do you know what I mean? It was, it was 
now that would not be possible. So at the start of the year, he literally said, we can scrape through this, but you have to win. It was like, because when you won, you got um, free tires. So that was like a massive thing to us. So if you finished first, you got three sets or three tires and second, you got two and third, you got one. So like through that year, I think I was maybe on the podium eight or 10 times. So that made a massive thing to us. If like it, Now looking at it, it's not a lot of money, but then it was like, that's so things like that kept us going. But yeah, I think that's what, that's what drove me so much because I knew that if, if we didn't, then we weren't, I wasn't going to get to come back and I would have had to just stay at home. And that didn't really appeal to me at 18 year old. Mm-hmm. I mean, funding is such a big part for every professional rider. And we've unfortunately seen a lot of people who were struggling to find the right sponsors and people who support them financially as well, because it is a very important sport. Oh, well not important well also important but expensive expensive yeah. was the word that I meant expensive <laughs> sport um do you feel like it adds even more pressure once you're racing is it on your mind after you finish the race immediately like oh no I need to do better because of the financial yeah I think aspect? It, I'll, I'll never forget when I started to do well and like do it as a job and make some money and I said to my my dad was still alive and stuff then and I remember saying to him I was like can you remember when like we couldn't really afford leathers and we couldn't afford a nice helmet and stuff and now when you get you you get to a level where people pay you to wear a helmet and it's like so when when you really need it nobody wants to give you anything and then when you get to a point where you can't probably afford to buy it everybody gives it to you so it's like the wrong way around and I, I remember feeling like guilty almost when I, I got to that point of like everybody was giving you stuff and you were doing well enough to get it but yeah I think um yeah that that but then again I think without them hard times that's what makes you do you know what I mean when you when you get into like because everybody no matter how good you are you have big crashes you get injured and And I think if you hadn't been through all them hard times at a young age, then you wouldn't be fit to do them when you get a bit older. I mean, if we're just talking on the money aspect, I mean, like after I think it was about 2018, you started up Ashcourt Racing. It's kind of your your own yeah, little yeah. baby, your own little project. Um, you know, did that almost feel like starting again? Maybe you know, having to put kind of your own money. Um, no, because 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 the. So basically the team I rode for from 2011 right up to sort of 16, 17 was East Coast Racing. And that that is equivalently sort of the same team or pretty much the same team. Um, and honestly, if I hadn't have met uh, Phil Reed and that's the guy that owns the team in 2011, I would I would not I wouldn't be racing now or anything. Do you know what I mean? He he put a massive investment into me in that period of time and All honestly, when when I went to the Honda, to the factory team, I didn't really want to go. But the two of us sort of sat down and said, like, as like, if you ask any young kid, what is the dream ride? It's like to be in a factory Honda team. That's, you know what I mean? That's it. Like at, at a whatever level, whether it's the TT or BSB or a MotoGP, the factory Honda team is like the, the pinnacle of the sport. So, um. Unfortunately, we went at a bad time and the bike wasn't right and the team wasn't very good and stuff. So, but I suppose it's something I can say and tell people when I'm 60 year old, you know, I was a factory Honda rider and 
stuff like that. So then I sort of said at the end of that year, I would, I would have sooner quit and go back and do another year. That's how sort of unhappy I was and stuff. And then he said, right, let's fill that is said, let's commit and, and go and try and do it properly. And then that's when, that's when Ashcourt racing was born and it's sort of still here now, thankfully. <laughs> so how time consuming are all your like off track responsibility, like the finding of contracts, the sponsors compared to like the actual racing and the training? Um. So the way I've, so it's only been the last two well last year and now this year that I've like been running the team and everything before that I had I had a guy doing that um Roger um but he wanted to to sort of semi retire and stop so he's also my crew chief from electronics engineer so he's he does that now just but I've figured out now that if I like work really hard before sort of Christmas and January with all the sponsorship deals and everything because it's hard then you have to still do bike designs get the bikes painted get the trucks painted get the leather designs done get the garage boarding designs done so all that has to happen in latest of february because they need to be ready for march sort of start of april so i've realized some people probably wait to january february to find sponsors but then that's too late really because all the design work has to be done so this year i've tried to spend quite a lot of time in november december doing that and um then there's still some deals happening now, like this on Friday, we've got some more meetings and stuff with new companies, but sort of the cutoff time has to be then. And then if somebody else does come in, they have to sort of find a slot within within the current sponsors and stuff. So yeah, it's 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 very busy, but I think that the most rewarding part is that I can go to the sponsor and go, oh yeah, well, this is what I think I'm going to do and then go and do it. And you get the, you know, the, the feeling of, of achievement as such, whereas... I suppose if a team manager goes and says that and says, oh, this rider's going to do that and the rider might let him down or whatever. So it's like hard for them to to do that. But I, I really enjoy it. I enjoy being involved and with all the suppliers and stuff because nowadays suppliers don't ever get to speak to a rider because a rider just goes and signs for a team or pays for his ride or whatever. And the team talks to them. So now when I ring up companies, it's like, oh, it's, you're actually the person that's on the bike and stuff so they're happy to talk to you i think i think it's very interesting to hear about the behind the scenes of the sport because we often just see the bikes going around on track and there's <coughs> so much more going on that we don't really know that yeah. much about so it's really good to hear about that but i think about your on track action you are very successful but what would you describe as the highlight of your career? Uh, winning the TT. That's, easy. <laughs> that. That's fair. That's, yeah. Um, yeah, honestly, I never thought that would happen. So for that to happen has been has been absolutely amazing. And I could stop racing tomorrow and be like so fulfilled with what I've what I've done in, in my career. So um everything else now is just a just a bonus, I suppose. But yeah, it's that's that has to be and it's funny you can go anywhere in the whole world and if you say to someone yeah you know do you know what the Isle of Man TT is they do mm -hmm. it's it's weird like you could go to Thailand or India or anything and they all seem to know what that that one what one race is you know they might not even know what MotoGP is or anything but they know what that is so um, yeah, I, yeah I have that experience so I live out in Qatar in the Middle East and I was here during the World Cup so I was talking to someone sat next to me that's a fan and he was like I was 
and he's a local Qatari and he was like oh I know that I love Mount Titi because I'm doing my dissertation on the Isle of Mount Titi yeah. so we were talking about it and it was just like this is the most bizarre thing and then I mentioned MotoGP and he didn't have a clue what it was no. but obviously you've won the Isle of Mount Titi what was that experience like? <laughs> um, can think, you sum it up <laughs> no I think at the start I, I now it yeah it feels amazing but I think at the start I was it was more like um, it was more the fact of relief than than I was absolutely overjoyed I was like oh yeah I've actually done this do you know what I mean there was like a, a, a contentment or thinking because you don't really actually ever know there's people well you look at like kids of guy martin's an absolutely amazing road racer and, and never managed to win one so i knew that was possible do you know what i mean there's there's probably loads more people before him um really good people that, that never won one so um yeah i think that at the start it was like mostly sort of relief and then as time went on but the good thing well not the good thing but after I won in 19 obviously COVID hit so I got like two years of people saying you were the last TT winner <laughs> because, <laughs> because um, yeah we never went back but yeah I, I think honestly I can put my hand on my heart and say I'll be content if I never win another one or whatever but obviously I really you know I'm going to try and do that but um, yeah it's it's probably the biggest achievement in my racing career so far you say the R6 you rode anyway um, to the TT? Was that maybe the favorite, uh, your most favorite bike you've raced on in your whole career? Or um, I actually, I actually really like the little Aprilia, the super twin bike, the 660. It's just too slow, so we're in the, like a development process at the minute, and the rules were against the bike. But as like a the feeling of a chassis and everything, the bike is is amazing on a on a track day, and I've. I've convinced so many people into buying one guys that just ride on track days because it's just such a fun little bike to ride. Um, but yeah, my, my R6 is, is very, very, is very, very good as well. And it's had a lot of time of development and I get to ride it in British championships. So it's, it's, um it's really, really so I can get on it and it feels like sitting on this sofa. It's like proper comfy and, um but yeah i think yeah it is probably the r6 is probably what's brought me the most joy with winning british super sport races on and winning a tt and then the northwest on it as well so yeah i mean obviously you've ridden in bsp you've ridden in northern ireland and do you see a different between a difference between both racing environments if you are in northern ireland rather than being in england yeah, ma ma massively. It's um, I think it's not not so much the fact that it's Northern Ireland and England, but from BSB racing to road racing is a completely different, a completely different environment. So, like in in BSB, people have no respect for anybody unless they're at the front. Do you know what I mean? If they're at the front, everybody wants to be your friend, and that's a fact of life. I suppose the most you know the person that's doing well in any sport people the press or everybody wants to know but when you go road racing like I've got as much respect for the guy in 50th position because I know he's literally sitting on that star line and the guy is tapping him on the shoulder and he's setting off and he, he is he's as worried if not more worried than I am setting off so he's got all them same feelings so yeah, I think the respect level is massively different. That that doesn't happen in British Championship. Nobody really cares about anyone else, or you're there doing a job, so you're either paying to be there or you're getting paid to be there, and not that is it, I suppose. I mean, from the outside, it seems like 
also the entire racing community in Northern Ireland seems very tight-knit and very supportive of each other, which is yeah. very nice to see, because even though it is labeled as a team sport, you are still on your own out when you're on, out on the bike. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes from uh, probably just our culture. Like we like we like talking to people. We like <laughs> you know being friendly. And if we go anywhere in the world and you say you're from Ireland, everybody's they're the way they react to you is is completely different than probably saying you're English and stuff. So I think that's a lot to do with the culture, and then that sort of falls into into the sport. And I, I suppose because like the country's had a lot of hard times, the sport sort of hid all that. And there's, there's never any mention of that in any sport at home. So it's, it's probably an escape for everybody as well. So what motorcycle racing class do you enjoy to watch the most? If you had to pick one. Um, it's a bit weird. I like going, <laughs> this is completely, <laughs> I go to Speedway quite a lot because um, oh. it's near my house. I've quite a few mates that are, are good Speedway riders and it's like you never get bored because it's like four laps, Bosch, there's a winner. <laughs> Two minutes later, four laps, Bosch, there's a winner. So it's like there's, <laughs> there's a huge chance of someone winning all the time. So you're not like sitting watching like a 25 lap race. Um, but on the other hand, I do really like watching MotoGP as well because obviously in the last two, three years, since Mark's been injured, anybody could win. So that is like a genuine, a genuine good thing. So yeah, probably either MotoGP or yeah, Speedway. I mean, um, if we just um, go away from the racing for a second, um, what's kind of your favorite thing to do off the bike, out of the zone, you know, just being at home, what's your kind of your downtime, what's your favorite yeah. thing to do? Uh, cycling. And I love cycling. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, I've got that. That that is like the the pinnacle of sport in my eyes. I think top level cyclists. Yeah. So yeah, that that more than anything, I could spend like four or five hours out in the bicycle, or and and it'd be like the best day ever if the weather's nice. Is there a Tour de France in your future? <laughs> oh, no, I I do actually wanna I do actually wanna do um some like endurance gravel races and stuff that you can do in um there's one down the south of spain there's some in badlands it's called there's some in new zealand and loads of things like that so yeah if i can if i can retire young enough from doing this i'd love to do <laughs> stuff like that i think yeah unfortunately we won't see you swapping the leathers for the yellow jersey anytime soon so <laughs> no, no. <laughs> i mean there are so many riders who love cycling it would be nice to just yeah. Do one event per year where you see every rider from you to Alicia Spargaro and yeah. everyone. Everyone yeah, seems some, to love some uh, some motorcycle riders that are like I've rode with Cal, um Mark Cavendish and stuff before in the past a bit and like he's a really good level. Like he could have went he could have went to the Commonwealth Games for the Isle of Man. He's like a proper proper level cyclist and I think Alicia is the same. Alicia trains with quite a few a few world tour guys um but luckily where i live in yorkshire as well there's there's loads of there's loads of top cyclists live here and stuff as well so it's um just the weather's not as good as what it is in speed <laughs> i actually had two or three people in my high school who trained to actually do a professional professional cycling and one of them actually also competed in the tour de france and i just think to see the dedication that you have to unbelievable put yeah 
I still don't know how their legs are not falling off after uh-huh. every single like <laughs> day. It's the it's the willing the willing to suffer and the longevity of the suffering and to be able to switch that off is just so the mental capacity. There's like them are three massive things all on their own and they have to do all of them all of the time, which and it's their job, do you know what I mean? So yeah, I've got massive respect for for pro cyclists. We've also seen that you have a YouTube channel, which is, <laughs> I really like the videos. I looked a bit into it and I really enjoy the videos because you also get a look behind the scenes, which we are often missing. Yeah. So what actually inspired you to start this journey? Um, Actually, my partner, Christy. So she does all the work. I can't take any credit. She does <laughs> all the editing everything I, I can't even like put a reel on my instagram she does that i'm terrible with technology <laughs> so um yeah she said about doing it for like quite a long time and then eventually i was like i don't know i think i thought at the start you had to be doing like crazy stuff all the time and then like i watched the most boring things on youtube like guys fishing in alaska and just like proper boring stuff so then when i started tried to do them like more exciting things and then once i started doing like stuff that i'm just doing day to day in the workshop everybody's like oh yeah we like this more and i was like but this is just my day-to-day life (laughs) and it's turned out that that's like more what people want to see because i see it as being like maybe a little bit boring or normal and that because that's all the bits you don't get to see on the television so and the other good thing it's sort of made people realize that i don't finish in september october and sit on the sofa until march do you know what i mean it's like they realize now that you're putting the work in and i think that i've met people and they've got like a bit more of an appreciation for you or what you're doing or they become like better fans or something like that. i don't know how to to say it but yeah the, the community that's come out of it has been amazing what what um what's your favorite experience been with a fan you sort of just mentioned meeting some of them you know, I love I love meeting people now. So if you've if you've watched my YouTube, you'll my mechanic's called Neil and he's so shy. Like he doesn't he doesn't like talking to people he knows, never mind strangers. <laughs> and people are obsessed with him now. They come up, they bring him gifts, they've made him t shirts. So the, the enjoyment that I get out of that is more than anyone ever coming up to me for an autograph. I just think isn't they asked it's just so funny that this like 50 55 year old man has now become famous off the back of me starting a youtube channel so, I mean, the uh, next step for him has to be he has to become a tiktok star oh what yeah <laughs> if i could make that happen that would be the only thing he doesn't he won't even know what tiktok is so he'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll not know but um yeah that'd be amazing if we could make him tiktok famous that'd be <laughs> that's the goal would you would you try to apply him to like i'm a celebrity or something like that or yeah we can, that's the goal for 2023 but yeah bless him he just he doesn't even like like confrontation with or like strangers coming up to him or anything but because and the thing is when you watch somebody on youtube because you see what they're doing you automatically think you know them. So he gets people he might not even see the vlog and then he'll get someone to ask him about something that he's done and he it blows his he's like, How do they know what I've done? Like, <laughs> he hasn't seen it, so it's absolutely brilliant. Spiling restraining orders all day yeah. long against yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like I have a stalker. 
as I mentioned, it's just great to see behind the scenes and I I really enjoy it. I think more people should do it. But yeah. at the same time, do you feel like it's I mean, the editing is part like a main part of it which your partner does for you, but even filming is it much more work during your normal day than not not really because work. because um when we started doing it, I started as a bit of a joke. So we weren't like trying to make like this perfectly cinematic thing and it was like rough. And then people started commenting saying, oh, we really like the fact that it's rough. But that was us not really knowing what we were doing. <laughs> it wasn't actually. A, so it's it's sort of like, and I've car we've carried on that way as such. You know what I mean? I'm not great on the camera. Christie's amazing at editing. So it sort of works out perfect you know what I mean that we can and I just sort of take it with me and talk away as if I'm I'm doing it anyway so it doesn't really create a whole lot of a whole lot of hassle for me but obviously on her side yeah she sits down for it normally takes her like a day or a day and a half to do each vlog so um yeah there's a lot of work on that side but it's um yeah it seems to have worked out well or it is for me anyway because it doesn't I don't have to put a whole lot of effort in <laughs> I mean like now I guess you're kind of like you know you're pushing the behind the scenes stuff and maybe even some some you know private stuff you know yeah uh, you know just at home but even you know when you say um emailing for sponsors emailing for for equipment um do you do you know that you can find the right balance between kind of your private life and then your your not even just racing life, but um, being in front of the camera per se? Yeah, well, that's the thing. I think that's why it's people see seem to take it in because I'm the same. I don't. I'm not trying to pretend to be anything. Do you know what I mean? So, like, I've had some companies come to me and want to sponsor the channel, but it really upsets me i was about to say a bad word there upsets me you know when you're sitting watching something and then someone's trying to sell you something that you know fine well that they do not use probably would never <laughs> use unless someone's give them a load of money so i've actually like turned a few things down because i'm i'm not gonna i can't start slagging somebody like that off and then start doing it because that that is never why we started the channel for a laugh it's sort of become a bit bigger than we ever thought it would and so I'm not going to just because that's happened I'm not going to sort of change my morals into into thinking oh yeah we'll just start now selling ourselves you know what I mean it, that was never the case so um, yeah if it, if it doesn't get any bigger that's fine if it gets massive that's fine you know what I mean either which way but we're just going to keep doing doing things the same way and stuff so I think that's why it doesn't really interfere into her home life i don't do a lot of stuff in the house i try and not do a lot of stuff with with jesse a eh? for you never know what's going to come out of his mouth so it's always dangerous so um but yeah he sees it and he's around it and he's like around the racing and stuff and i think that's that's just his life he doesn't know any different he doesn't know like being in the motorhome and just because all his dad's friends are like professional motorbike racers he just thinks they're like it's Taran or you know what I mean he doesn't know what any different really so I suppose yeah. if you start worrying too much about it it'll it'll you'll overthink it and then maybe not be natural when you're you're doing it but yeah I think I do understand what you mean and trying not to invade our home life too much but yeah I think at the minute it seems to be okay I suppose uh what would you say is the best advice you've ever been given 
Oh, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, it doesn't have to be racing. It can be racing. <laughs> Whatever you prefer. I think. I think. So my um, my dad was never like my dad didn't race or anything. He had a road bike. So like right from the second that I started riding, I was probably faster than him. So he could never give me advice of like how to ride the bike or anything. <clears throat> but all he ever said was that if you ever got beat because you weren't fit enough, then that was not acceptable. Do you know what I mean? If someone beat you because they were better than you, then you could go home that day and look yourself in the mirror and go, you, you know, I got beat. You can shake their hand. There's no thing. But if you ever like lost a race because you weren't fit enough, then it just wasn't acceptable. And that's something that's like stuck in my light, in my head um, from being 17 and why I do so much training now and everything. I'm, I'm sort of petrified of that happening. So, um, yeah, I think that that advice has probably driven me more than anything in, in my career. What does your typical training routine look like? <laughs> um, quite a lot of cycling. Luckily, uh, <laughs> my me as an editor on YouTube is also a a PT and a nutritionist, so she does everything for me That's on that. Side. <laughs> I know, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so Christy does all my my training plan. We've literally just done a new one out. So normally, like at this time of year, I start off quite light with eating really well and everything again because I've realized in the past that if you like literally go from not doing a lot of training and maybe some drinking over Christmas and then do a lot you would just end up getting sick before you even get started so you lose some time so this part of the year now for the first three or four weeks or a month will be quite light and still doing a lot of cycling and stuff and then I'll I'll build in some more weights and circuit training and strength and conditioning and stuff as it gets closer to closer to the season starting um i guess another thing that you've uh, done away from the track in 2015 um you work very closely with the mary curie cancer foundation yeah uh, do you mind telling us uh, about the project what you did for that yeah so um when my dad got ill uh will have been 15 yeah because he was sick for two years so he, he got uh cancer and it sort of happened, another thing that happened by accident, really. So I was in the hospital one day and the doctor or nurse asked me to sign something or bring something in, you know, so they could auction it off. And um, I was like, oh, yeah, I'll get some of my friends to do some stuff as well. And they, they, they ended up making quite a lot of money or something. And the nurse said, oh, it'd be, it'd be quite easy for you to, you know, do something like that. And then I ended up setting up my own, my own uh charity which was f13k cancer but it got to the extent where it got quite big and then they just it got too much for me really and they took it over so they used that branding for different events and stuff um but yeah it was all just literally because my dad got ill and i just felt useless really that i couldn't do anything else like you can't i wasn't smart enough to be a doctor so you can't heal him so i thought well i'll try and help these people out that are helping him so we um yeah we ended up raising quite a lot of money and stuff so it gave me a little bit of I don't know what the right word is but a little bit of help to try and understand the situation yeah it was a good way to cope while also contributing I think yeah. it's always great to see people raising awareness raising money for important courses I mean the sport itself always seems so glamorous but it is nice to see a couple of people 
using that exposure to actually do something good for the general yeah. public and that's always great to see like speaking of this year though what can we expect from you in 2023 um i think well the plan now is to go back and and to do some british championship and then obviously the roads again i think just win i don't want to say what i'm gonna do i just know that i want to win i want to win some more races um i feel quite good at the minute i was a bit sick at the end of last year and stuff but yeah i'm starting to feel a bit better now so it's easy to feel motivated when you feel better in yourself and stuff so yeah um yeah i don't i don't like talking too much until you actually <laughs> do something but yeah i know within myself i want to i want to try and win more races i know my team and the bikes that i've got will be good enough to do that so um yeah it's just down to me on the day and how we feel and and how things go with um um with like what's it called um are there any kind of events that are kind of not that you really really want to win but are there at least some events that you know you're really really looking forward to and some you can't like wait to dig your teeth back into i think the hardest thing with the tt in the northwest is so you have to wait a whole year do you know what i mean whereas like in british championship if you have a if you have a bad weekend you can go oh, I'll, I'll sort it out next weekend you win next weekend you've only really had four days of feeling depressed you know what I mean whereas if you have a bad TT like this year at the end of the TT when when um I was suffering with my eyes and everything it's like literally for probably a week or a week and a half after the TT I probably didn't leave the house so it was just like I was proper down and yeah Christy was having to put up with me and stuff so I wasn't in a good wasn't in a good place so it, and then you've got such a long time to you know you've got a whole year then to wait to try and put that wrong so um but i think yeah it's it's important to not to be like too hard on yourself if if you do then bad days are like that and stuff there's always somebody worse off so but yeah i think obviously the tt has to be the the main focus for the year for me the team the sponsors that's what everybody wants to to go and try and win and then if we can win some some northwest again that'd be amazing as well and also some british championship so sounds easy when you say it like that don't it? just win <laughs> so you spoke about your bike you've switched to the honda fireplace superbike for this year how do you think it'll fare differently to the bmw i think i think it should be good that's the what we're hoping on anyway the the there's quite a variety of riders that seemed to do quite well on it last year both in superstock and bsb and on the road so it it looks like it seems to be quite a good well-balanced bike that is quite easy to get a setup and stuff on given the variety of riders so yeah we we're hoping on that and um we've spent quite a lot of money on new bikes and stuff <laughs> so yeah that's um yeah i think it should be the bike should be good um and then kind of just going back to the season then what would you say your ideal season looks like? I mean, maybe just uh, just some mini goals, not anything too fancy. <laughs> Winning uh, every single championship. <laughs> <laughs> if we could win, uh, how many races is there at the Northwest? There's five in the day, so I'd probably be happy enough with four. Um, <laughs> I mean, no, I think, yeah, honestly, I think we... We should be aiming to try and win some races at the Northwest. We should be aiming to try and win some British Super Sport races and 
there's no reason why we can't win another TT, hopefully one, if not two. So realistically, that's that's what we should be aiming to do for that. And I think if you go with not that that not in your head, well, you're never gonna. Do you know what I mean? You can you can aim it and say it, but if you don't believe it yourself, when there's no point, is there? But I think um, if everything's good and I'm fit and healthy and the bikes are as good as we think they're going to be and stuff like that. And you need a little bit of luck on the day as well. But I think if um, if all them things fall into place, we should be there or thereabouts, hopefully. Right. Uh, thank you anyway, Lee. We have got some quick fire questions. Just, uh, just oh, no. we've got, there's, there's a couple on racing and just a couple, couple general things. So um, yeah, I mean, we'll start off with quite an obvious one. Pineapple on pizza. Yes or no? No. Oh. Harvey immediately starts off with a big controversy. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, fine. I'm, I'm fine either way, but pineapple is supposed to be cold out of the fridge. Not on... Christy, you put you like pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Oh, she's a no as well. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. Uh, Alsta JP or the Northwest? What for the track? You mean? Uh, in general, yeah. what do you like more, tracks racing itself? The Ultra Grand Prix. Favourite cheat meal? Favourite cheat meal? Or Thai food? That's a good choice. Mm, Favourite beer? Favourite beer? Oh, I don't really drink beer, but I'd want to say Peroni, probably. No, Mm -hmm. not uh, Corona. Sorry, Corona. Which one do you put the lime in? Corona. Corona. Yeah. Yeah, probably that. It's quite light. Nice. Uh, what's your biggest racing idol? Um, I'm going to say someone and you, you might not even know who it is. It's, it's Richard Britton. He was like a top road racer when I was little and he was from our town. So when I was like eight or nine, he was like the coolest person alive. <laughs> now, who's your non-racing idol? Um, probably my dad. Yeah. Um, right, getting pumped up for a race. What song do you put on on your headphones? Oh, what are you laugh? What are you saying, Christy? Sam Fender. Yeah, so Christy, Christy is like a massive Sam Fender song or Sam, <laughs> Sam Fender song. Sam Fender fan. And do you know when someone makes you listen to something that much, you actually start liking it. So I think that's, I think, I think that's what's happened. Yeah, I'm a I'm a Sam Fender fanboy now. So yeah, we listen to a bit of that. I don't really like. I think people think this thing of like you get all hyped up, and I'm the opposite. I need to be like, um, chill when I'm riding the bike because like yeah, I like the Lumineers a lot. Yeah, so that's do they're you know very they're, good. They're, I love. Yeah. I've seen I've seen them in concert. They're very good. Yeah. I like I like sort of stuff like that, yeah. So it's a bit chill, but like got a bit of beat as well. If you have one lap at any circuit at and with any bike, what would you choose? Which circuit? Which bike? Oh, um, I'm gonna say Phillip Island on probably like the current M1 Yamaha MotoGP bike. Which is probably the best, one of the best rideable bikes in the world, and that'd be a good track. There, there are maybe Aston, probably. Win from pole or win from back of the grid? Oh, back of the grid. The fight through. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> I think every single writer that we asked this question <laughs> answered the same. Yeah, same yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um it's fun passing everyone in it. <laughs> um would you rather take a time penalty or a grid penalty? Grid penalty. <laughs> I mean you're imagine you just started the race, you're going into the first corner on the first lap. Who would you not want to have beside you? <laughs> just, oh. you, can, you can call out any rider, any class. It doesn't matter. Oh, Take your pick. You know what, right? And he's the <laughs> nice looking little boy in the world, but Taran McKenzie is like a demon. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Taran. And the worst thing is, if he did knock you off and took his helmet off, you couldn't even hit him because he'd talk his way out of it off. <laughs> yeah, so, Taran. Um, would you I... go more corner speed or yeah. more top speed what do you prefer um depends on the track so like somewhere like the northwest top speed because that'll make you win but then if you were at ooh Assen corner speed would win the race so yeah mm. track dry... depending sorry dry, dry race or, or wet race oh dry I'm actually good in the wet. I just don't like getting wet. So, <laughs> right. right. 2023 Moto GP Championship. Who's your bets on for the champion? I'm going to say. What do you, um, what's Paco's new teammate called? Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> we, we want yeah. the fire. That's a good pick. <laughs> I do hope, though, that Yamaha gets a bit more top speed, so Fabio has another chance. Yeah, I think you need a bit more than a bit, but yeah, you're being... Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to not offend anything <laughs> Yamaha-related. Plus, Matt Marcus is back. Uh, yeah, could see honest, Return of the yeah, King. To be honest, oh. I, would love to, I would love to see him win yeah. just for what he's been through. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think and he, and he will, he will with definitely win races. So mm-hmm. plus he's he'll he'll he's in everyone's head if he starts off by winning, then the just the chance because in the last two or three years everyone's believed that they could win, but now when he's back, all of a sudden it's like you're racing for second if he's fit and fast. So it's a mental <laughs> thing, in it, I suppose. Just I suppose hope that the bike is working to everyone's liking. There. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Now we've asked about MotoGP, what about World Superbikes? Who are you placing your bets with? Um, I'm going to... I don't think the rules have changed enough unless there's like a wider, wider rider weight limit. Um, I can't see Baptista getting beat because Johnny's bike's um, not fast enough or top racks. Plus they're both, I think... Um, he's is he 50 kilos or 52 kilos? Johnny's probably 70, 68, 70. So, and a slower bike, so it's not something has to happen because it with well, it's killed it, hasn't it? Because it's basically only them three. Whereas in MotoGP, six was there six different winners or seven different winners? So, eight maybe, and probably six different manufacturers. So mm-hmm. It's um yeah they need something like that to happen. I, I would love Johnny to win another one, just mm. from like a friend point of view. But I think <laughs> I don't think the bike is unless there's massive improvements, it's going to be capable. Well, thank you very much, Lee. Thank you very much for for being here for talking to no us. Problem. 
Um, absolutely loved having you on. Um, anyway, uh, you've been listening to the Sighting Lap. Please uh, follow us on all of our socials. We are on Instagram. We are on TikTok. We are on Twitter. Um, so please do follow us there for all of our other content. Uh, please stay around for more interviews and uh, more episodes when the season gets started. And we will see you all next time. Thank you.